Good morning. It's great to be here and enjoy fellowship and beautiful music and to be taught the Word of God. Today, it's my honor to share with you from 1 John, and we're going to begin with chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm going to do 20 and 21. The title of this sermon, which is derived from the text itself, is Anointing and Truth. Anointing and Truth. I'll read the text from the New American Standard Bible and then pray. John wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Heavenly Father, we do ask that in our hearts would be a love for the truth, so that it's so strong that once we understand and see what the truth is, we will cling to it, love it, defend it, and proclaim it. Help us avoid the pitfalls of the false anointed ones out there and listen only to you. And we ask you to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with the first part of verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. This is important. Now, I'll have a slide here in a moment to show you why there's a play on words going on and why it's important and why we tend to miss it in English. But John is saying to the church, you, God's people, are anointed. And you're anointed by Christ. This you is in contrast to those who left claiming to have something the rest lack. These are antichrists. And they claimed they were anointed. And they said that you have to get what we have or you're lacking. Only we have it. Only we understand it. Only we know. You're uh, in the dark unless you get what you have from us. Now this is how cults work. We know that. False teachers work that way. Someone last week after I preached asked about the Jehovah Witnesses. How do you get through to these people? Well, the problem is they've been taught that only the Watchtower Society can interpret Scripture. So you can't know anything unless you learn it from the Watchtower Society. So that's what they're thinking. John says, no, if you are a Christian, you are anointed by the Holy One. And we know who John is speaking about in regard to the Holy One. We find that in John 6, 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is after all these other people left. They didn't want to hear anymore. John 6, 69. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter confessed Jesus Christ as the Holy One of God. John was there when that happened. John wrote the Gospel of John and also 1 John. So John is telling us that the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ, has given to every believer an anointing. And there aren't any special anointed ones that we have to listen to. Now, there's a play on words, and I have a slide for that coming up. You're probably already looking at it. You have a printout. But anointing, charisma, antichrist, antichristos, Christ, Christos, to anoint, creo, charisma. See, in Greek, it sounds the same every time but it was slightly different, you know, word form. But in English, for years, people just miss it. 
because the word Christ and the word anointed don't even sound the same. But in the Greek, it's obvious. So given the norms of language and the idiosyncrasies of English, if we want to understand, we need to just learn that it's all about anointed, the anointed one, false anointed ones, being anointed, and so on. Just so we get started on the same page, let me explain. The Christ is the anointed one. Antichrists are the false ones claiming to be anointed, but who teach the lie. Christians are anointed by the anointed one, Christ. And so we all have that same status. And so the great thing is, dear saints, you're not like these poor people who are abused by the cults. In other words, you don't have to write to the Watchtower Society to find out what's true. You're a priest to God. In Rome, supposedly the priests are anointed, but the ordinary Christians aren't. So you have to listen to them and not try to learn anything yourself. The Reformation was about rejecting that idea. Christ is the anointed one. All Christians are anointed. Our anointing is derived from Christ. Acts 10, 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Notice God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. So there's Christ, the anointed one. Hebrews 1, 9, citing, by the way, Psalm 45, 7. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. The companions are the many sons. I hope you were in Sunday school. Boy, did we get it, some great teaching today about the son and how there's been a perpetual attack against the son and the sons by Satan. You might want to listen to that audio if you weren't there in Sunday school. It was, it was outstanding, I think. So the whole Christian community has a derived anointing. This means not one of us has some higher status before God. We may have different callings and gifts and responsibilities, but we're all one in Christ. We all can teach. We all can learn doctrine. We all can offer up the sacrifice of praise. We all can offer up our bodies as a spiritual or logical, if you want to use that translation, sacrifice to God. I'm writing an article about that right now. It may be two articles, it may be three. I'm just writing, we'll see what happens. I spoke on this topic in Canada, the priesthood of every believer. It's a Reformation doctrine that's mostly neglected today by the church, including people who call themselves Reformed. They don't even mention it. We need to start teaching the priesthood of every believer. Luther did, and he saw it as important. Here's that slide I promised you. Here are the words from the Greek, and you'll notice the English sounds different, so we just need to understand the issue. Christ is Christos, Antichrist is Antichristos, anointing is Chrisma, and Jesus is Hachristos, the anointed one. Here's some biblical proof that this is what Christ is. That's what Christ means, anointed. Isaiah 61, 1a, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, Jesus says, to bring good news to the afflicted. Luke 4, 18a, 
Jesus in his hometown cites Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus claimed, and he said this, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And they got all excited. Uh, no, they went to throw him off a cliff. Go ahead and read Luke 4 on your own. They got angry. They wouldn't tolerate the truth. Now in the Old Testament, it would have been hard to miss who was anointed because they did it literally. Now some scholars think this anointing the Christians have means literal oil that they use before they baptize people. That is not true. That is not what John's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, if someone was anointed for an office, they literally took oil and poured it on their head. It was kind of a messy thing to be anointed. But everybody could see that. Let me give you an example. Exodus 29, 7. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his, Aaron's, head to anoint him. Pour it. David was anointed. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And, and so here, David, the son, the greater son being Messiah, was anointed. But here, in 1 Samuel 16, 13, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Now, when Jesus was baptized, now Jesus is always God. Don't believe the lie that Jesus' deity came at his baptism. That's not true. The spirit descending was a sign that this is the son. Ha Christos, the anointed one, who has the spirit without limit, who is one with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. But this was a visible demonstration that the son promised to David is this Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Notice this uh, prayer mentioned in Acts 4.26. Acts 4.26 cited from Psalm 2.2. They prayed, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. There is father and son, two members of the Trinity in one verse. They've always been against the Lord and his anointed. As I said before, listen to Sunday school. Now, as we come to Christ and believe in him, and we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are his sons and daughters. And he has given each an anointing. And so we all are anointed. Antichrists are claiming special anointing that other Christians don't have. Therefore, they're false. So this is also tied to our knowledge of the truth. 1 John 2, 20b. And you all know. Now there's a variant reading in some of the Greek manuscripts. The King James says, and you know all things. Now if you're going to accept that reading, I don't think it's the best reading, you would have to modify that because only God is omniscient. So Christians don't know everything knowable. But what that would imply is you know everything you need to know about salvation in the ways of God. But I think you all know is a better reading. And here's what it means, because the next verse says, you know the truth. So John lets us 
understand what he means. What is it that we know? The truth. What is the truth? The gospel and all the implications thereof. We'll see that as we go on. So we know the truth. We know what is revealed. We know what God has chosen to reveal to us. We're not omniscient, but we do know what we need to know about God and his ways. And these people have claimed to find a secret that the rest of us do not know are false. I've said this for years and written about it. We probably should throw out of our libraries every book that's entitled The Secret to The Secret of. I know some people are not literal and they're just saying God's wisdom about is what they really mean. But not usually because it's easier to sell a secret. Oh, you get to know what all those other dummies don't know. Excuse me for talking like we did on the farm. <laughs> dummies. But that's what they imply. Oh, you've got to get what we have or you're just in the dark. That's what the Antichrists do. The term, the truth, that we'll see in the next verse, is often synonymously parallel to the gospel. And we'll have an application about this. So we know what God has chosen to reveal. This is a new covenant promise. Let me read the predicted new covenant from Jeremiah 31, 34. This is what will happen. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. Dear ones, we are under the new covenant. Don't forget that. There are people that want to blur the distinction between the old and new covenant in order to put us in bondage. We talked about that when I preached through Galatians. The new covenant is the new covenant. And this is what's true. Either we know the Lord or we're not part of it. Everyone who knows the Lord is under the new covenant. We're born from above. We're delivered from our sin. We're sons and daughters of God. And we have an anointing from the Holy One. And we all know. What do we know? God and his ways that are revealed to us. They'll all know me, the Lord said. They're all going to know me. And this comes through the Holy Spirit. There's so much wisdom to be found. Maybe you want to jot this one down on your notes if you're taking them. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, saith the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Are you going to boast in the Lord only? Boast that you know Him, because that's all His doing, so we're only boasting in the Lord. God did it. It's His doing that you're in Christ Jesus. And now to the next verse, 1 John 2, 21. I've now written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. This is the salient point. Christians know the truth. Why? For one thing, we know Jesus. And what did Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If you know Jesus, yes, you know the truth. You know him who is the truth. And you have access to his word. 
the words of God. His appointed apostles speak for him. And so the teachings of Christ and his apostles are binding on the church. And they're the word of God that we know. John was intimately acquainted with his flock. He called them his little children. And he wrote to reassure them about Christ and the Gospels. Because the Antichrist are saying, you don't have what you need. You're a deficient Christian. You're an ignorant Christian. Oh yeah, they say that, don't they? Especially the false teachers. You'll, you'll say, uh, this happened to my wife. She says, my arthritis flared up. And she was rebuked. There's your problem right there. You just claimed it as your own. See, you're an ignorant Christian. You don't know that words create reality. And, and they told her, if you say my arthritis, then you just owned it. And of course, she wasn't trying to own it. She was trying to say, I have a weakness and I need God to help me. But because Christians listen to false teachers, they lose their love. They lose their compassion. And they're like these antichrists that went out. They're saying, you only have problems for one reason. Back to my, how my dad would say it, you're a dummy. <laughs> okay, that's what they're saying to you. Now, if you knew what we knew, you would never have arthritis. And so their false claim goes, and then they make you doubt whether God's happy with you. And they become Job's comforters. And they do it in the name of Christ. This isn't right. John wrote, beloved, to correct that, to reassure us, to give us comfort, to give us hope that God didn't quit loving you because you got sick. Because you're going through weaknesses and trials isn't proof that there's something wrong with you. We have an anointing from the Holy One, and we all know. And one thing we know is that this earthly body is wearing out, and one day he's coming, and we'll be raised, and we'll have a glorious body that doesn't get arthritis or anything else. That'll last forever. But see, that's how this works. And some people just don't get it because the term Christos doesn't sound like anointing. So the false teachers actually go on TV and claim to be specially anointed. They're claiming that to be antichrist because only Christ is specially anointed. And so if this guy on TV is, he's an antichrist. And he just told us that. But because in English it doesn't sound like Christ, we don't get it. Antichrists always distort the doctrine of Christ. The true apostolic gospel must be the basis of our shared knowledge and shared anointing from the Spirit. So we need to identify false teachings that threaten the church. And we need to be reminded that in the gospel, we receive the truth. We need to be strong in it. We need to be reminded of the gospel and its implications. Some of you have been listening to our conference in Canada that Eric and I were so honored to be allowed to share with these delightful brothers who were teaching. And I, we reported a little bit last week the thing that was remarkable to me was the unity we had because it was all about Christ and the gospel. Again and again and again it was said, it's not what we do for God, it's what God has done for us unworthy sinners. That teaching will unify the church. You are anointed. You are sons and daughters. You're being brought to glory. Your sins are forgiven. You overcome the accuser through the blood of the lamb, meaning Jesus paid it all. I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. 
the Holy One of Israel took on our sins, died a substitutionary death. John's little children are anointed. They do know the truth, and they do love it. Now, here's one that sounds like a truism, but there's a lot of applications. Because, and because, John 2.21b, no lie is of the truth. We can use logic here and say a lie is not a subset of the truth. It doesn't belong to that category. It's a category here. So the Antichrists are not of us because they are liars about the person of Christ. All Christians need to be taught from the scripture about the person and work of Christ. We need to know the doctrine of Christ. And we need to get rid of this anti-scholastic bias that's infected evangelicalism that wants us to not think about doctrine. No, we don't want to hear doctrine. Just tell us what to do. We think it's all about what we're going to do. It's not. It's all about what he did. And we're not going to stop preaching Christ and the gospel. Falsehood cannot be legitimately derived from truth. John 18, 37. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now you all know what Pilate said. What was it? What is truth? I could care less about it. Why? Pilate was unregenerate. But for us Christians, the truth is precious. The truth is the truth about Christ. One of my commentaries says, truth and error are incompatible. Indeed, lies have their source in what is false, not what is true. In this verse, the truth is equivalent with the Christian gospel that has both theological content and ethical character. The truth and the lie are mutually exclusive. When we first published Critical Issues Commentary in 1992, I immediately started to get pushback. And the pushback was this. Why are you ruining the unity of the church? Okay. Somebody even said, why are you so picky? Picky, I just want to know what the truth is. But see, those people thought there's no problem with falsehood being taught because it's all going to work out in the end. And so this is practical. It's not just a truism. They literally thought, okay, so my favorite TV preacher says things that you, with your article, can prove are false. No big deal. We just need to unify. John says, no lies of the truth. These teachers on TV, or wherever they're teaching, didn't get their lie from the truth. So the one destroying the unity is not the one who corrects the lie, it's the one who speaks it. And I am fighting for the unity of the church under Christ and the gospel. No lie is of the truth. I have an application where I'll demonstrate how a famous false teacher took a passage that teaches the truth, found a bad translation, and managed to find a lie out of a Bible verse. I'll show you. Implications and applications. All lies cannot be validly implied from the truth. We need to understand what we gain from Scripture through being anointed. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ, 
and the gospel is the truth. Here's this lie that somebody claimed to find in the Bible. So I wrote a book about this, by the way, and this incident I wrote about in my book. Here is Genesis 6, 8 from the New King James Version. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Greek Old Testament has that same word, charis, grace. Often translated, found favor. That's the same idea. Now that's what the Bible says. Noah was preserved because he found grace from God. Now a book that sold millions of copies cited this verse to prove the opposite. Rick Warren says this, quote, God said, this guy brings me pleasure. He makes me smile. So I wrote refuting that. He makes me smile. Here's how this lie could not be derived from the truth because they're logically incompatible. The truth, Noah found grace. The lie, Noah made God smile. The truth is what God does for an unworthy sinner. The lie is what man does for God. Is there a difference? It's the difference between heaven and hell. The fallen human race believes the lie that we can do something for God. The false antichrist gospel is works. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is what he does for us, received by faith alone, from Christ alone. This isn't being picky. This isn't being someone who hinders our unity. This is delineating the truth and the lie. The truth of the gospel is always about what God does for us, who do not deserve anything but wrath. Lies are always about what we're going to do for God. See, we need to take this seriously. Let me propose a question for you to answer with what you know about the gospel. Can we unify with the message that this is about what we're going to do for God? Can we unify with that? Can we say, well, what God did for us is not so important. Let's teach people what they're going to do for God. And then we'll have unity. No. We'll have unity only with the world. Romans 3.27 says boasting is excluded. Excluded. Found favor is used of Moses. He found favor from God. God's people are there serving God because of grace. Let me quote Luther on Genesis 6.8. Quoting Luther at the Reformation. Furthermore, says Luther, here there is a new expression of the Holy Spirit. An expression the heavenly messenger Gabriel also employs when addressing the Blessed Virgin. Luke 1.30, you have found favor with God. Mary found favor with God. She was a sinner who found grace from God. Noah found favor from God, as Luther said. Noah didn't give God something. God gave Noah something. And then things changed. You have found favor with God, says, quotes Luther. This expression, says Luther, very clearly rules out any merit and gives praise to faith, by which alone we are justified before God. That is, are acceptable to God. How are we going to be acceptable to God? By grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, as taught in Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. My dear friends, don't be deceived. You are being bombarded by media claiming to be Christian that has one message, what you're going to do for God. I'm saying that's a lie. It's about what God 
does for us received by faith. Luther was right. Rome was wrong. We don't add merit. We don't add works. We don't add something. We receive grace. What about our anointing from the Holy One? 2 Peter 1.3 Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And Peter also wrote, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. One of the things that needs to be taught is the sufficiency of scripture. We have what we need. That's what John is saying. You're anointed. You have what you need. He's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the blood atonement. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the word of God, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have all we need. I was privileged to teach this in Canada. The analogy is that of newborn babies. Milk is everything a newborn baby needs to live and grow. The Word of God is everything a Christian needs to live and grow. We don't need more. The Antichrist say, oh no, you need something else. You need what we have, but you don't have. I thank God for this congregation. You're so kind to me, so patient with me. Thank you. And here's what I love. Every week, I don't have to worry about dreaming up something new for you. Okay? I don't have to turn on Kenneth Copeland or Rick Warren or somebody else, you know. I dig into the Greek Bible to make sure I understand the text. I spend all my time understanding the Word of God. That's everything. And then understanding it by God's grace, because that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, I try to understand how that applies to us, like this, the sufficiency of Scripture. God will use the pure teaching of the Word of God to cause His sons and daughters to grow, to have wisdom, to have truth, and it doesn't mean we have no problems, but it means that we're overcomers. It means that no problem will ever drive us from Christ. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how confusing, no matter how disappointed, no matter how hurt we are, no matter how the world hates us and lies to us, we have what we need. We have comfort. We have the consolation of the gospel. We have the love of the brethren. We have solace. Mom, thank you for asking about that. My mom said, Why, what are the five solaces? Because that wasn't terminology she was familiar with. So we talked about the solace. But mom, you have a good point. We do have solace. The solas bring us solace. Amen. We have solace. Diane and I just spent time with our oldest grandson, and he was sharing his difficulties and trials, and we were so happy that he, he loves us. He wants to have us help him. Dear saints, you have what you need. So I don't feel like I got to show up here with something new. I'm going to show up every week, however weak I am, with the truth of the gospel and what God said once for all. We have what we need. The Holy Spirit inspired the biblical writers. The Holy Spirit anoints all Christians. Now here's what we need to know 
about the anointing and the Bible. The meaning of the Bible is fixed by the Spirit-inspired authors. That never changes. So every Bible teacher, and you're all equipped to teach, needs to start by understanding the meaning of the text. It's fixed once for all by the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers. When I took from Dr. Stein, great Bible commentator, by the way, I had him for hermeneutics. First day of class, he tried to dispel a myth. Very first day at seminary. He says, all right, we want to know the meaning of a text of the Bible. Now we've got some Greek linguists from the university who are experts in the language, the grammar, the context, and they're going to go study this text. Now, on the other hand, we have some Christians who don't know anything about it, but they're going to go up on a hill and pray that God shows them what it means. He says to the class, who do you think will come up with the correct meaning? My hand was the first one up. Surprise, surprise. I'm always, whether right or wrong, at least I, something happens. I said, Professor, I believe I'd go with the Greek linguists. He said, right answer. Most Christians think the guy's praying on a hill. The subjective doesn't interpret the objective. So I may go on a hill and think, oh, I think it means to me. That's the emergent. What does it mean to you? 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 And when everybody said what it means to them, meeting over. We did, we're ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. But what did God say? Now, these linguists may correctly get the meaning, but they may not appreciate it. They may not repent, but they can tell you what it is. How much better that Christians learn the languages and become linguists that can do this. But it's still the same meaning. Okay, so the meaning is fixed by the biblical authors. Regeneration by the Spirit means we are anointed. When that happens, we now appreciate the significance. Notice in red, the significance. I don't know how conversion happened in your life, but I know when I was a brand new Christian, the people who told me about Christ said, go read the Gospel of John. And I'd had a Bible since my youth, or adolescence. I started in Genesis before, but I could never figure it out. So I gave up. So as a Christian, they said, read the Gospel of John. So I did. I was so excited. It was the same Gospel of John. It had the same meaning it always did. But now it was significant. I'm learning about God. God does love me. Jesus is the Christ. We can be born from on high. He does have the words of life. None of that is new meaning. It's the same meaning since John wrote it down on paper. It's new significance. Oh, thank you, Lord. I get to participate in this by your grace. So we appreciate the significance. Secondly, we submit to the authority. Those Greek linguists over to you that Dr. Stein told about, or used as a hypothetical, they may know exactly what it says. I've seen scholars do that that I don't think are really Christian. Well, Moses meant this, or Jesus meant that. They wouldn't dream of submitting to it. Well, you know, that's just what those Christians believed. They got the meaning right, but they don't see it as significant, and they won't submit to it. That's what unbelievers do. But Christians were willing to submit to the authority. This is Jesus, the head of the church, who spoke to me through John or Mark or Matthew or Luke or through the apostles. So I need to take it seriously. Number three, we now know the sufficiency of Scripture. I just preached to you. This is what I need. 
as newborn babes in Christ desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. So the scholar gets the meaning, but if he doesn't know Christ, he's not anointed, doesn't care about significance, will not obey, and does not find a Bible to be sufficient. Do you see the difference? The error is that some people think the anointing means you find no meaning, and that's wrong. The meaning has always been the meaning, has been the meaning, and will be the meaning. Two more slides. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Now let's do a little preview. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, John will give a test, and it has to do with the person of Christ. Anyone anointed by the Spirit will preach Christ. Why? Because he will testify of me. Here's how you test spirits. You don't go into the spirit world. I get emails from people. They say, I have the gift of discernment. Here's all I know. I saw this seven-legged spirit come into my room and attach itself to me. <laughs> oh, so that's the gift of discernment. No, it's not about seeing demons. And I try to help those people, by the way. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ. If someone loves Christ, preaches Christ, trusts Christ, proclaims Christ, obeys Christ, lives for Christ. That's how you test the spirits. We can't see the spirit world, but we know the doctrine of Christ. Are they teaching us the doctrine of Christ? Or are they ruining the doctrine of Christ? One guy I wrote about claims that Jesus lost his divinity. And when he died on the cross, the Holy Spirit left him, and Jesus was no longer God. That's a blasphemy. And I accused him of denying the deity of Christ. Why? Before Abraham was, I am. The great I am isn't the great was and will. The eternal I am. It doesn't mean Jesus was God. He lost that, and he will be God. It means he is. So I tried to tell his followers, this guy is this great charismatic leader, thousands and thousands of followers. This man is an antichrist. He blasphemes Christ. And you think he's a great Christian leader? They get mad at me. Well, who are you? How many followers do you have? How big of a church do you have? Well... I don't boast about that. I boast that I know Christ by grace and that he allowed an unworthy sinner like me to be part of his family. This great man of God that you're all addicted to blasphemes Christ. Does that not bother you? I guess not. This enables us to test the spirits. One more. In him, Ephesians 1.13, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice the appositional language. The message of truth, the gospel, it's the same thing. So the message of truth is the gospel. We must not merely hear the message, we must believe. Those who believed are sealed, safe and secure in the promises of God. Right here and right now, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory? 
the Holy One, the virgin-born virgin Son who existed from all eternity, who was the very creator of the world, who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He's the Son. He's the servant. He's the Messiah. Then he lived a sinless life and died a curse of death on the cross, bearing our sins and our curse. Then he was raised on the third day, appeared to many witnesses. Then he bodily ascended into heaven before witnesses. Then he sits at the right hand of God. And then he's coming again. Do you believe in him? Let me ask it in a more simple way. Do you believe the gospel is about what God did for you? Or are you still thinking about what you're going to do for God? Here's my message. Give up on the latter. You're going to fail every time. Besides, you can't see God. How do you know you're making him smile? Oh, I did all these good works. God's got to be smiling. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. If I found favor from God, it's only because of his grace bestowed on me through Christ. Today, repent and believe the gospel. Avoid eternal judgment and come to the Son and serve him by his grace, through Christ alone, by grace alone, and so forth. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you that you take care of us, that we can always trust you. Lord, if there's any who do not know you, that today they'd come to you in faith and help us to persevere as we continue to trust you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.